This is the Bartender Journey Podcast. Hey, this is the podcast that talks all about bartending and the bar business and cocktails and spirits. And we're going to talk about all those things today during my interview with Thomas Mooneyhan. And uh, he's a bartender in Chicago. has a lot of experience uh, working with brands and, and making cocktails. And uh, so that was a great interview. We'll get to that in just a minute. But first, I want to say welcome to the show. This is show 91. Somehow I did 89 twice. <laughs> so <laughs> this is number 91. Last week's show, I hope you got a chance to listen to the interview with Jim Meehan. And that was an excerpt from the full-length interview I did with Jim for Tales 365, which is the Tales of the Cocktail program where you can... Stay in touch with Tales of the Cocktail 365 days a year, and there's podcasts that I've done exclusive, exclusively for them. There's other podcasts, there's videos and web, can, web chats and uh, trips and tasting dinners and all kinds of cool things. You should check that out at tales365.com. And also, you can go to my website, bartenderjourney.net, and there you can find more information about a great program called A Bar Above. And my friend Chris Tunsdale runs that program. It's an online course that you can um, learn all kinds of great information from. He's a smart, knowledgeable guy, and uh, he's a great dude. So, uh, yeah, you should check that out. Go to bartenderjourney.net and look for the link for A Bar Above. Also there, you can find some info about Flavar, which will send you samples of really cool, interesting spirits from all around the world. And uh, you can click through and uh, check that out as well. It makes a great present. The holidays are coming up. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, by the way. This, uh, this is the Thanksgiving episode, so I will be thankful for you, my listeners, as we uh, eventually, we're getting up to two years doing the show almost. Uh, well, in the spring, it'll be two years, I guess. And I've been talking to Vano a little bit, and hopefully he's going to stop by the studio one day in December, so it'd be great to have him back on the show. If you've been listening from the beginning, you remember Vano. If you haven't been listening from the beginning, go back and listen. Vano's got some great stories, great advice for bartenders. All right, we're going to get to that interview in just a second. But uh, before I do, I just want to tell you, if you want to get in touch with me, uh, please check out uh, the various ways you can do that. There's uh, email, vince.bartender at gmail.com. Always love to hear from our listeners. Oh, I did get an email recently that I wanted to share with you guys. It's from a guy named Josh, and it was in reference to the episode about uh, homemade liqueurs and infused spirits that we did a couple episodes ago. And uh, he says, hey, first I'd like to say that I'm loving your podcast, and I heard about it through Mixology Talk. That's Chris Tunzale's podcast. And he goes on to say, I recently listened to the episode where you interview Andrew Schloss about his book on liqueurs. In that episode, you discuss the value of organic produce in making liqueurs, and Andrew makes a statement along the lines of, organic products guarantee no pesticides. I feel the need to point out that this isn't true. USDA organic only requires that all pesticides themselves are qualified as organic. It does not require that pesticides are not used at all. So the point of all that is make sure you wash your fruit anyway, organic or not. Uh, very important. So uh, thank you to Josh for pointing that out. appreciate it. So I was talking about the different ways to connect with Bartender Journey. There's uh, Twitter, Barkeep Tips. That's me. And you can find the Bartender Journey page on Facebook by searching in the, you know, in the search bar. Uh, so we've got lots of, uh, lots of likes there, which is cool. And uh, anything else? Well, the website, bartenderjourney.net. Hey, can you go on iTunes? Do me a favor, go on iTunes. And give me some ratings. I need some stars up there. So if you go to uh, search for Bartender Journey within iTunes, you know, you can rate it and leave a comment. 
as many stars as you like to give. Five is the most you can give. So just keep that in mind when you go to click there. Five is the most. <laughs> and if you like to leave a nice comment, I'd appreciate that too. All right, let's get into that interview. Hello. Hi there. Hey, Thomas. How are you? Doing very well. How are you? Very good. Thanks. Thanks for uh, joining us on the show today. Oh, of course. Thank you very much for having me. My guest today is Thomas Mooneyham, and uh, a bartender out in Chicago. We were introduced by our mutual friend, Chris Tunsdale, right? You- oh, yeah. Chris is a great guy. Really, really like Chris a lot. Yeah, yeah. So you got a chance to work with him on a product launch? Uh, we spent a little time together in uh, Mexico with Patron. Um, we were over or helping oversee the, um, the launch of Patron Roca which is their tequila that is made with the Tejona process, which is the traditional stone crushing of the agave. Uh-huh. Got to know each other pretty well, and uh, it was a really, really fun time. And then he told me that he recorded a podcast with you and put us in contact, and yeah, really cool. glad to be chatting with you. So Yeah, yeah, same here. So what was that like, going down to Mexico to, uh, to uh, watch tequila being made? That must have been really fun. It was a great experience. I think that a lot of us kind of went down with the same mentality that uh, Patron is such a major brand that yeah. it was going to be this incredibly mass-produced, factory-line type product. And, and a lot of us were incredibly surprised, myself included, to see that that wasn't the case. And we were part of what was called the, the 60 Hands Alliance because it goes through 60 pairs of hands before every bottle goes out. And we, everyone was truly impressed by that. And uh, great facilities, um, beautiful, beautiful hacienda in itself. But then they had a giant farm dedicated to to the product and then to the local area and everyone just really really enjoyed it it was wow. really nice wow that's cool uh, that that sends me in two different directions to talk about one thing one thing which is interesting is that the big brands are like having to compete with the craft stuff you know which i think is really interesting you know uh, uh, absolute is doing it uh, you know tangeray it's really it's really interesting, isn't it? It is. Well, um, what I've always found very interesting is, I've, like I said, I was doing the work with Patron, and now I work with Hennessy. And you mentioned Absolute and Tangeray and a lot of the bigger brands is that a lot of the times the large brands pursue people to work with them that kind of got known for not using the larger brands, um, more of the, the mixology-related bars and that sort of thing. So it's always this funny jump to go from almost being adamantly against the big brands and you know i only use these craft spirits yeah. and that, that whole mentality to you know let's let's try something else let's let's go in a different direction let's see what these big brands have to offer and i think that a lot of the times uh people are are very surprised and impressed by by the facilities and what they're putting out and where they're coming from and and how passionate a lot of people are in these big brands um yeah yeah that's true and uh and they have a lot of infrastructure, you know, kind of ready to go. To to start something up from nothing is hard, man. <laughs> it, is. it is. Like I said, I work I work with Hennessy, and we're going in our 250th year now. And wow. every year is we're we're still trying to move forward more and more and more. It is a lot easier to to do something when you have a history like that and a background and foundation, like you said. Which to me, I, I have an incredible amount of respect for the spirit companies that are trying to do something new and are are trying to go into a market that is so full already just right just, right it's hard to it, to compete against some of these hard or huge companies yeah yeah and you know they just because they're a big company just doesn't make them bad you know the even the, you know even the major brands you know they're they're making some good stuff absolutely um there's there's no question you know uh patron is a great tequila it, it really is um hennessy is a delicious cognac it, yeah. 
and these are very, very large companies. Bacardi's a great rum, you know? Right. And they, they do make great products. And I think that's a reason why some of them have been around for as long as they have and, and have been able to carve their way into, into the marketplace is because it truly is a good product. Yeah, yeah. And when, when there's demand, you have to increase supply. And in doing that, you, you become a large company. Right, right. Well, Hopefully, was, <laughs> if you're if that's what you're going for, and if that's what you're you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was talking uh, actually to Dale DeGroff about one about this one time. You, you know, are there too many? Is there going to be a point where there's just too many brands out there? And he says, "Well, is there? That, you know, what about in the culinary world? Are there too many? You know, options in the culinary world? Absolutely not. You know, it just makes everything better, and you can just find." cool stuff that maybe nobody else knows about but you know you can there's more is more is better in this case i agree i mean there's there's no question in my mind that there's an infinite amount of room for new spirits be or any spirits be old or new large conglomerate of a company or very small almost house produced spirit there's there will always be room everything does or at least in my opinion offer some form of different profile uh, or complexity when it comes to taste. And when you're coming up with cocktails and or trying to do something in that direction, it's really nice to have an almost infinite amount of options. Right, right. Yeah, you, know, you cool. go to the grocery store, they, they don't offer one tomato, well, depending on the store you go to. <laughs> if you go to a good one, they, they, they don't offer one tomato. They, they have numerous tomatoes because they all offer something different. And I think that cocktails and the spirits industry kind of works in, in the same way. Yeah, cool. Well, let's uh, we'll get to cocktails eventually, but uh, let's let's talk more about tequila and how tequila is made. You know, I'm I'm learning about it myself. Uh, it, it takes what is it six years for the agave plant to grow? It does. It takes a while. Um, there are various six is around the minimum, but there are numerous tequila houses that'll let them grow longer for numerous reasons. But then um, they they harvest the agave. Uh, which is a giant plant. You know, some of them are too big to put your arms around. Hmm. And uh, in a really cool process, a guy called the Humidor takes this large, it's almost got like a mezzaluna type blade on a six foot stick. And they very quickly chop off all the leaves and it's got almost like pineapple like spines coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And they shave that off very, very quickly. I think that's something that we were all impressed by when we were down there and also uh, asked if we could try, but for five. <laughs> Uh, liability reasons they wouldn't from there they chop them into uh small manageable pieces throw them in a large oven where they're roasted uh i believe it was 24 hours if i remember correctly at pretty high heat which helps extract a lot of the sugar and then the difference that um what makes patron roca different from regular patron is instead of putting it through the the now roasted agave instead of putting that through a press what they would do is they take that and they take a tahona, which is a large stone wheel, uh, probably about six feet across, that's made out of lava rock. And it's uh, very, very hard to actually like source the rock for it. Hmm. And um, they, they use that to crush it. And they get out a lot more of the, the juice and the sugar. And it's really uh, – I don't want to say that it's more beneficial. Uh, I will say it. It's more <laughs> beneficial uh, to the tequila. You really get a lot more out. And from there on, it goes through fermentation and distillation. And then they, you know, depending on whether you're going for the Anejo, the silver, or the Reposado, they, they barrel it and age it. Right. And it's, it's really, really great process to see. 
Yeah, I bet. It must be interesting. But it, it, it's interesting to me that, I mean, it takes so long to grow these things. So, so you know, no wonder tequila, good tequila is expensive. Although, you know, there's some good ones out there that aren't crazy expensive, you know, and I don't, know, I don't know how they do it. <laughs> um, I think that a lot of the times when you're, and I, I don't mean to speak negatively against um, silver or unaged tequilas, but yeah. I think a lot of the time the expensive tequilas come from the aging process. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it, it it's expensive to just let something sit in the back of a room for, for a couple of years and not do anything with it. Yeah. And you, you're going to have to charge a premium because of it. Well, to, but to grow the thing, you know, like grapes come for wine, they come every year, you know, this oh, is something that takes six oh, years at least to grow. That, well, yeah, to, to think about growing an agave and, and letting it just, you know, you're putting something in the ground and letting it sit and now you're not going to touch it for yeah. six years. is kind of insane. <laughs> it's, it's a bit nuts. And then you know, to think you're, you're going to age it after that for a while longer. You look at a bottle that costs $50, you're like, I, I don't know if they're charging enough for this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it might be more maybe they should charge more yeah. uh, there's definitely ones out there that do yeah 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 right. but i mean i think in the the 50 range you can get a really nice bottle of tequila the uh the patron roca that we helped uh launch is a bit higher it's in the 80 to 90 dollar range is it? yeah yeah but i really think it's worth it and you're able to use it in cocktails if you you use it correctly yeah it's such a complex spirit i'm you know i'm still learning myself about tequila and um and agave i should say and uh mezcal it's a beautiful spirit mezcal is a great one too it's one of the faster growing spirits out there yeah yeah so well let's move on to uh hennessy i must say uh i worked at a place uh doing weddings for a while bartending at weddings and somebody came up to me (laughs) And I was so taken aback by this. I was. He says, "I, I want a Hennessy and cranberry." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> you know, it, it sounds weird, but I uh, I see that every now and then. And then I said, "In the same glass, together in the same <laughs> glass." <laughs> I was like, "What is going on? You don't mix cognac with j- fruit juice, but um, uh, I don't know." You know, it's actually it's uh, it's an interesting approach and um one of, or interesting concept. Uh, and one of the reasons why Hennessy hired me is because I've, I've kind of focused in cocktails, and that's always the, the direction that I, I like to see things going when it comes to beverage menus is cocktail heavy. It's uh, very, very quickly or, you know, it's been established as a, a huge thing for a few years now. And one of the, the things that we're trying to do as a company with Hennessy is, is show people that cognac is incredibly versatile yeah. and, and can be used in, in numerous cocktails, not just the classic ones that you see uh, on menus all the time, like a, a Sazerac, which was um, originally cognac-based, and now it's m- more commonly made with rye mm-hmm. and occasionally bourbon whiskey, but it was originally a, a cognac cocktail. Uh, but then there's also the classic um, French 75. You know, it's a, mm-hmm. that's a shaken cocktail. It's got citrus juice in it. So when people say that you shouldn't mix cognac with juice, uh, yeah. I, I'd, argue, I'd argue adamantly that you can. Right, right, right. Yeah. There's a lot of really fun cocktails out there. Lately, I've been doing one uh, that's gotten pretty good reception. It's Hennessy VS um, Averna Amaro, which is a lovely Italian bitter. Uh, a little bit of spiced pear liqueur by St. George Distilleries. Uh, lemon and honey. And it's mm. it's a little sweet, kind of chocolatey, spicy. It's got a lot going on, but it is a cognac cocktail shaken. That sounds great. That sounds great. Yeah, it surprises people every now and then to see it, though. Yeah. I'm really interested in pear as, a, as a, an ingredient in cocktails. Last, last night, I, uh, 
I don't know, something inspired me. And I said, like, what happens if I try to mash up some, uh, try to muddle some pears in my old fashioned? And it really didn't impart much flavor. You know, I guess you really got to take the pears and cook it up with some sugar or something first. That's what but, I was going to say. Yeah. One of the things that I've learned about using pears in cocktails and a lot of fruit um, is that you're going to get more flavor and a more complex flavor if you cook it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, roast it, grill it, or, you mm. know, Make, make a syrup of some kind. Yeah, uh, it really just a little bit of heat really does help bring out a lot of uh, flavor. And pear is a great thing to use in cocktails because it kind of has a year-round appeal, uh, depending on how you use it. You know, you can go. I was doing a cocktail for a long time with um, pear and sage. There's a pear and sage syrup, mm. and uh, that sold really, really well in the summer. It was very fresh and bright mm. and springy. But then you can also take something like the uh, the spiced pear liqueur. That almost has like a pumpkin pie type spice to it. And obviously that's going to be more applicable in the, the fall and winter months. But yeah. pear is a, is a lovely, lovely fruit to use. Yeah, it's great. So I'll have to experiment more with that. And and syrups are such a way easy way to uh, impart flavors like that into cocktails, you know? Oh, they really are. I think that uh, one of the great things about syrups is just the, the versatility that you have with them. Um, one of the easiest ways, like you said, to impart a flavor and do it quickly in a cocktail is to, to do a syrup. I mean, you can make bitters or tinctures or liqueur or something like that, but that takes a long, long time. It's a very complicated process often, but making syrups is incredibly easy and, you know, it's something you can do at home. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it is really easy. Uh, shelf life on them is high too, which is very nice. Yeah. I've been throwing a little, uh, little, little bit of vodka in there with the syrups to make it last oh, a little longer. Definitely throwing a little vodka, just an ounce in there, in a you know, gallon even really really helps it it'll keep it fresh um especially if you're using raw uh fruit yeah 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 i've been making i've been making my syrups in a i got mason jars and then i got tops for the mason jars that have a little pourer in them oh nice they're so cool, that is cool. That is <laughs> people cool. are like what is that you know it's really fun and impressive you know but i've been i've been meaning to uh try make the try to make the uh pear bitters there and the, have you seen the bitters book by uh Brad, uh, uh, Brad Thomas Parsons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have. It's uh, it's one of my favorite books. Yeah, yeah. I've been meaning to try. I, was, uh, I actually moved uh, moved the other day, and I was going through all my mine and my roommates' books, and realized that we both have a copy of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so your your roommate's a bartender too, huh? Uh, he is. He uh, works at a bar here in Chicago called Celeste. Uh, right. Really fun little cocktail place. But but no, the Bitters book is a uh, it's a great book. Really <laughs> fun read. Yeah, ideas and ideas in there too. Yeah, I tend to run into Brad at a tale of the cocktail. Hey, there's Brad. Manhattan cocktail classic. Hey, there's Brad. <laughs> you know, unfortunately, I haven't met him yet. Um, he's a guy that I'd love to chat with, but and, and hopefully this year at Tales we'll we'll be able to to meet each other. Yeah, I keep I keep threatening to make him come on the show with me, but I haven't done it yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, cheers. I'm having a little Negroni here. It's 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 an hour earlier here, or hour later, I should say, here in New York than where you are. Oh, uh, you know, it's always appropriate. Mm. The Negroni's a lovely little uh, daytime cocktail. I am crazy for Negronis lately. Just oh, it's, the, I, it's a delicious drink and a pretty cool history, too. Well, what do you, yeah, what do you know about the history of the Negroni? Well, the Americano was a, yeah. a pretty popular drink in Italy, which is just Campari and vermouth with a little bit of some, uh, soda water. I almost right. said syrup, which <laughs> made sense. And uh, Count Negroni, a very prominent Italian at the time, just decided that it wasn't strong enough. And right. I wanted to replace the soda water with gin. <laughs> to, to him, I say hats off, sir. Good for yes, you. thank you for doing that. Yeah. <laughs> Between him and the Earl of Sandwich, we have uh, two heroes of, of history. 
<laughs> and they pair well together often. So uh, what are some other cocktails you've, you've made with, co- with uh, cognac? Well, one of the approaches that I, I take to cognac cocktails, and especially because of the aging process, is there's a lot of similarities between cognac and, and bourbons. Mm. Um, they're both a, a touch on the sweeter side, uh, not overwhelmingly sweet at all, and both offer a very complex spiciness. But I, I find that a lot of cognacs, when you compare them to bourbon, just seem more floral. So I think that if you take a lot of, and it's a really fun approach that you can just apply at home, is mm. instead of making a Manhattan with, with yeah. bourbon, try it with, uh, with a little bit of Hennessy. Yeah. Instead, it, it does offer um, a different level of complexity, a little more sweetness, a little more floral aroma and, and, and taste, and it's really nice. But then also just look at the complexity of, of cognacs, be it Hennessy, which personally I'd prefer, um, <laughs> or anything else really. There's you know a, a large amount of incredible cognacs out there. Just, just see what works with it. You know, like I, I find that in Hennessy VS, there's little hints of coconut that are kind of hidden in there, which is why I thought that that would pair nicely with the spice pear liqueur. So if you apply that kind of same culinary thought to making cocktails with cognac or just cocktails in general of what works with what, you can really come out with some truly outstanding results. I bet. And yeah. then, and you know, just remember what works and remember what doesn't. Uh huh. Uh, well, w- would you like to explain for our listeners the um, the, dif- the different levels of cognac? We have VS, which you mentioned, uh, very special, right? Uh, yes, there is very special. Uh, right now, we're, we're actually offering a few different levels of cognac from Hennessy. Um, one of the uh, the mistakes that we made as a company is we never patented patented the uh, the XO classification. Oh, was Hennessy uh, the first to do that? Hennessy was the first, and it just stands for extra old. We, we wish that we patented it years ago because now there's everyone is using XO as a yeah. classification. Um, oh, yeah. I believe the one that I saw recently is Crown Royal XO, oh. <laughs> uh, which Crown Royal is a fun product and you know, let them do, do it. But, uh, so right now we have seven different cognacs on the market. Um, Hennessy VS is based off of our original three-star uh, cognac recipe. That was developed in 1865, if I remember correctly. Mm. And that's a blend of 40 different Udavis and aged uh, up to eight years. And then we go all the way up to 200 years to aging, and that's in the, <laughs> the Ricard Hennessy. Um, uh, after that, there's Hennessy Privilege, which is the, uh, the VSOP, which we've been making since 1817. And that was actually uh, created in a response from uh, an English prince who would later become King George the Fourth, <laughs> which is a uh, fun little uh, piece of history. Uh-huh. And that one's aged up to fifteen years. Uh, then we have Hennessy XO, which we, uh, which I mentioned earlier, and that is a blend that's aged from uh, twelve to thirty years. And that first came onto the market in eighteen seventy. Uh, and that is a blend of a hundred different, um, roughly a hundred different Udavis. Wow. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, one of the cool things about Hennessy is the amount of Udavis that we own. We currently have enough Udavis to make 350,000 casks uh, <laughs> once blended. And it's actually a really cool process. Every day we have a tasting committee that goes and, and randomly tastes a bunch of Udavis and chooses which ones that they're going to purchase and which ones they are, they're not. And they look at it on a very complex, uh, almost fortune teller-like 
scale because it's really hard to taste it. one Udavi and figure out what you're going to blend, which Udavi you're going to blend that with, how long you're going to age it for. It's, it's, a, it's a very cool process. But um, because of that, we're able to combine uh, up to 200 Udavis. Yeah, well, yeah, so. I know. I was talking to somebody about this at uh, one of the Manhattan Cocktail Classic, I guess, and uh, that the blending process is a big, is like the huge, the hu- a really important part of making cognac. Whereas, you know, something like bourbon, you you know, single cask bourbon, it's not blended at all. You know, and, and that's what you're looking for. You know, so it's interesting that uh, there's, like you said, there's a little bit of fortune telling, a little bit of magic in it, but uh, it's a complex I mean, process. A lot of science in it too. Um, we uh, we get our Udavis from four different regions in Cognac: Petit Champagne, Grand Champagne, the Borderies, and I believe it's Fiend Bones or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm embarrassed right now that I can't remember <laughs> it. Um, and each one of those, you know, much like winemaking, grapes from each region offers different aromas, tastes, values, characteristics, whatever, sure. however you want to look at it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grape that we use mostly is called Uni Blanc. Um, about ninety percent of our Udavis are are made with the Uni Blanc grape. Uh, Let's but, just explain what what you mean by Udavi. It's uh, a uh, spirit made with grapes, right, and distilled. And is it's, and uh, it's uh, Udavi is roughly fruit brandy, right? Um, but is, uh, but clear, uh, but generally clear, unaged. Clear, uh, yes, unaged. And most for uh, for Hennessy for cognac, we use grapes, right, in ours. Uh, so you you use that in the you make it in the same way as you would make a wine, and then um, take that and distill it, mm-hmm. and goes through a pretty uh pretty complex distillation process. It's uh, kind of crazy to look at, mm-hmm. and um, so that's yeah. So Udavis are I'm sorry I got sidetracked. Mm-hmm. Uh, Udavis are unaged uh, fruit brandies, right? Mm-hmm. And then you take those and you blend them, then okay. age that, and then from that you get cognac and and but cognac is a region of france right so cognac is, and, yes, and yes, just yes, like yes. champagne it must be made in yes. that region to be called cognac yes yes otherwise it's brandy right right yep. so you couldn't you couldn't make cognac in the united states not not a chance uh, <laughs> no no you can make brandy you can make a ton of brandy in the united states but cognac no <laughs> i make champagne like you said yeah yeah well, let's go back to cocktails. Uh, I, you had some pretty interesting cocktails that I saw. Well, first of all, what's the name of the restaurant that you work at, or the bar? Uh, uh, it's called Bar Deville. Uh huh. It's a little neighborhood bar here in Chicago that is um, very, very industry heavy, very popular amongst bartenders and, and restaurant folk alike, oh, and um, kind of not not necessarily known as a cocktail bar or mixology bar, but. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows that you can get a very solid drink there. Uh-huh. We've got a very wide array of uh, spirits, and we can do a lot for yeah. it. It's a fun little place. The industry people don't necessarily they – they're not necessarily looking for a fancy cocktail, right? <laughs> oh, no. very. Uh, it's actually very, very rare. Um, I'll be the first to admit when I kind of first got into the whole cocktail and bartending scene here, I, I'm sure I annoyed quite a few bartenders. <laughs> I'd pop in and they'd be super busy and I don't want to say that it annoys bartenders, but you know, most, most of the time are usually drinking like a high life and a shot of whiskey or something along yeah. those. <laughs> so it's always, it always kind of throws you for a loop, but, uh, yeah, no, it's, um, we go through, like I said, we are very, very industry heavy and yeah, most of the guys, most of the time people come in, it's a whiskey and a beer mm-hmm. an old fashioned for now. 
And, <laughs> oh boy, a lot of fat, a lot of Malort here in Chicago too. What was it? What was the second one? Uh, Malort. Oh, okay. It's a, uh, it's a kind of a Chicago phenomenon. It's actually bottled in uh, Florida, but sold primarily here in Chicago. And it is uh, essentially a very bitter wormwood schnapps. Oh. Hmm. And uh, it's, it's made quite a name for itself. It's uh, <laughs> a hard thing to drink. If you... I'm a little scared of schnapps. It's, uh, <laughs> you know, if I, uh, I'll, I'll bring a bottle down to Tails this year. <laughs> there you go. Hopefully we can uh, link up and we'll do a shot of it together. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'll, I'll take you up on that. Now, did I read correctly that you came up with a drink called the Wreck of Eastland? Yeah, the wreck of the Eastland, um, which actually, it's funny, I was actually talking about that with my girlfriend the other night, saying that it's amazing that some people get, get really upset by the name of a drink, but uh, <laughs> it's in reference to the Eastland, which is a ship that sunk in the Chicago River here, mm. and it's actually the largest maritime disaster in uh, freshwater history. How long ago was that? Uh, I believe it was 1870, something right yeah. around there. Yeah, uh, after 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 a hundred years or so, people shouldn't get upset about things. People like should that. kind of forget about it. Yeah, but <laughs> not, no, not, that, not you forget about it, but it's you know, yeah. like, uh, you weren't there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> there's a, uh, there's a statute uh, of limitations on that kind of thing. Uh, but no, I remember I was at a restaurant where I was overseeing the bar program called The Gauge uh, here in Chicago on Michigan Avenue, and a guy came in and got very upset that we were using the name The Wreck of the Eastland and kind of. <laughs> threw out numbers about how many people passed away in the incident. It was, it was an awkward My great, great, great aunt-in-law <laughs> yeah. died on that trip. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> that sort of thing. But um, that was a really fun cocktail. If I remember right, it was – we used brandy. We used uh, Laird's apple brandy in that yeah. one. Uh -huh. um, it was actually created in response to a customer uh, who um, asked one of our servers that she wanted a – Calvados based cocktail that was kind of citrusy and kind of spicy. Mm. And just thinking, like, that sounds like challenge accepted. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah. Um, we didn't have a ton of Calvados at the time. So I, I did go with the more American version of Laird's Apple Brandy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we used that. It was Laird's Apple Brandy, Amaro No Nino, if I remember correctly, uh, St. Elizabeth Allspice Dram, mm -hmm. uh, Clement, Ron. Ron Clement, uh, Creole Shrub, and Lemon Juice. Wow. And Angostura Bitters uh, served with a uh, very thin slice of apple as the garnish. <laughs> that was a fun drink. Uh, pretty popular one, too. Really? Yeah. So, so, then, uh, we ended up, we actually did switch and end up using uh, Le Comte Calvados after a while. Okay. Uh, which, uh, still a delicious drink, just tasted a tad bit different. Yeah. That's a uh, complex drink, very, drink there. Yeah, I mean, it was a, lot a very going on. Friends. A lot going on, indeed. A <laughs> uh, very, very fall-forward drink. Yeah. Well, what's what's the cocktail scene like in, in Chicago? I mean, are there a lot of cocktail bars? Is that really catching on? Or uh, The Chicago cocktail scene is one that is constantly growing. Mm. Uh, it almost seems that you know every, every month now there's a new cocktail bar opening, and they are all doing very, very well. Um, it's a very, very interesting scene here. Um I'd say right now one of the, the more popular approaches to the cocktail bar is kind of the the Northwoods, Wisconsin, um, taxidermy, <laughs> that's warm, cozy. We've got a few of those that have opened up recently, and they're all quite popular. Um, uh, I'd say 
one of the more popular approaches to the cocktail bar here in Chicago is kind of just the the very homey neighborhoody feeling place. You know, uh-huh. uh, not to sound corny or to quote Cheers, but a place kind of where everyone knows your name. Uh-huh. Um, that's not to say that there aren't some great, incredible cocktail bars out there that kind of take the uh, opposite approach. You know, we have uh, the Aviary here in Chicago, uh, which is one of the best bars in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, Three Dots and a Dash, which is yeah. Paul Murphy's Tiki Bar, which just won Best New American Bar. Yeah. And, you know, nobody would consider those neighborhood places, but they're both truly outstanding. Right. Um, so I think that one of the most interesting things about the Chicago bar scene is just the wide array of successful places uh, that you can go get a, a really solid drink. Yeah, yeah. And it almost seems like there's one on every corner now. That's cool. That's cool. I haven't, I haven't spent a lot of time in Chicago. I've been there a couple of times, but not not a heck of a lot of time. And, uh, come on back. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think all the, all the bars I hung out in were, like you say, neighborhood bars, you know, and they're They're fun ones. Uh, but I mean, don't get me wrong. It's, it's nice to go downtown and hit up some of the bigger ones too. Yeah. Yeah. Have have you, uh, spent any time in New York? Much time in New York in the, you know, not recently. I, uh, I'm almost embarrassed to to say (laughs) that. Um, I spent a ton of time there. Uh, in my teenage years, but over the last few years, no. Um, yeah. There are some great bars out there that I, I've been meaning to get back to uh, and definitely some ones that I want to check out. And uh, hopefully if everything goes right, I'll be out there within the next few months. All so, right. Well, let me know. Let me know. Yeah, yeah we should definitely uh, try to meet up, and I'd love for you to show me around. Yeah, yeah. There's there's so many great cocktail bars you can't even oh, – yeah. like you, you can't even justify going to one that you like again because there's – <laughs> 40 others that you haven't tried yet you know yeah you know why why would you go back there yeah but you know i mean i i, I say it on the show all the time employees only is like my favorite bar in my, oh yeah it, it's, yeah, it's outstanding brilliant place. brilliant you know and uh but there you know I, there there's some that i haven't been to yet so i gotta i gotta keep exploring you know gotta keep checking them all out <laughs> oh well tell you what next time i'm out there i'll definitely look you up and i'll check some of them out with you yeah if you cool out this way i'll uh, i'll show you around as well all right cool well uh i won't take up any more of your time i appreciate you talking to us hey brian thank you so much it was a uh, it was fun chatting with you same here thomas and uh yeah we'll meet up if not in new york or chicago maybe in new orleans probably new orleans yeah <laughs> i mean if, like i said if, if not sooner i'm sure i'll see you there yeah cool man thanks a lot i appreciate it hey it was a pleasure take care that was great talking to Thomas. It was fun talking about cognac and tequilas, or mezcal, I should say. Mezcal, tequila is a type of mezcal. Tequila is made in a specific region, and I'm learning about it myself, and I should find somebody to come on the show and explain that all much better than I can. So uh, that's something to put on my list. I should do that. Anyway, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next time on the Bartender Journey Podcast. Cheers. Cheers.